Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The presenting sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast is our friends over at BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your bright spot this season. All you got to do is go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash can we please talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And thrilled that the Raiders got rid of Josh McDaniels. I am Nick Saveri. Oh, we're going to get to that in a second. And a show that's dedicated to that on the sports side here at Leon Media Network. On the program today, the Israel-Hamas war rages on with no real end in sight. The GOP 24 field gets set for a primetime debate in my neck of the woods here in Miami on November 8th. Nick and I will preview that. Plus, we're going to look at some of the latest polling nationally that shocks one person on this panel. More on that. Plus, later on in the program, Representative Seth Moulton from the great state of Massachusetts, he stops by. We chat about the wars in Ukraine and Gaza. We get his perspective as a former veteran, what he makes of new speaker Mike Johnson, who he knows well, plus what he is doing to help his fellow veterans. More on that in our next segment with Representative Seth Moulton. It's a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Some housekeeping notes here. An all-new episode of Back Your Play with Q is out there over on LeonMediaNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rick welcomes in Nick Costco's from On3 Sports. They break down the latest in that happened this past weekend in college football. Nick, our Scarlet Knights, almost pulled off an upset with Ohio State. They break all of that down. Download episodes of Back Your Play with Q over on LeonMediaNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcast. And also a new show coming in December, the If You Lead Them podcast with host Katie Burnett, as she welcomes in the biggest names in leadership and coaching to find out the ins and outs, the secrets of how they lead. Katie Barnett does a great job with this brand new show coming to Leon Media Network. You can go to leonmedianetwork.com, excuse me, backslash If You Lead Them to find out more when this show will be available. This is coming in December. So excited to welcome Katie Barnett to the family. It's going to be a really cool show uh, with respect to all of this. Um, all right, Nick, before I say hello to you, I do want to say something real quick here, and it kind of leads into the hello with you. I want to thank a lot of people that have been writing in, emailing us, DMing us. Um, I, I've mentioned this to you a bunch, Nick, that we've been getting, uh, I'll get at least five to six text messages, emails, or direct messages to the show account of people that are seeing how much we are putting out about 
the Israel-Hamas war, the reporting that's going on from journalists at different networks, whether we know them or we don't know them. Um, and, and again, it's verified stuff. Like we're not, I'm not sitting here, uh, or the social media team is not sitting here doing this, uh, reposting things that are not verified sources. I, I, we don't have time for that. Like we can't do that right now in this age of misinformation, as people continue to post different things, our comment section is blowing up from when Zach Foster came on the, the historian from Palestine, uh, when Dove Waxman, the Israeli studies professor came on, I encourage people to go back and watch those episodes because those people are doing what I want the folks that are hitting us up. And again, we thank, as Nick always says, we thank you for the engagement. I want people to start doing what those two guys did, which is have a conversation on the up and up. The up and up means that we can condemn what happened on October 7th. We can call Hamas what they are, a terrorist organization, that they're not truly representative of the people of Gaza, of the 2.2 million people that live there. Half are children. Half of them did not even vote for this organization that is running their lives right now back in 2006. And also we can call out the actions of what is happening with right now in Gaza, airstrikes, a, a ground invasion, what the Israeli military is doing, and then the occupation that's happening in the West Bank. We can't just say that there isn't an occupation when there's reporters literally from CNN, we posted this on our show, uh, interviewing folks that have been kicked out by settlers right now because all the attention's on Gaza and not on the West Bank. I wanted to play something for you, Nick, before, before I say hello. Um, from President Obama, he was on, I think the interview is already out now on the Pod Save America uh, feed and you can follow the folks over at Crooked Media. And he said something about, and it's, it's a longer answer, but I want to play a little clip of it here, talking a little bit about the complexity of all of this. We have to admit some of this, like it's complex, you know? So the people that are writing into us, Nick, are all in this single tract of like, nope, this is the way it is. Nope, this is the way it is. It's like, that's not the way it is. Everyone knows that that, that region and this issue at large is complex. Take a listen to what the former president said. There's any chance of us being able to act constructively to do something. It will require an admission of complexity and maintaining what on the surface may seem contradictory ideas, that, that what Hamas did was horrific and there's no justification for it. And what is also true is that the, the occupation and what's happening to Palestinians is, is unbearable. Yeah, I started with this at the top of the show because, first off, a lot of people tend to listen more to the intro, right? <laughs> if, if they skip over any ads at the beginning. Don't do that, by the way. Um, but it's important that people understand that, and this has been my, my point of emphasis with the show, but also in conversations with people. We talk about this all the time, calling out hypocrisy of, if you did this, but then you're not hypocritical of that because it favored you, you're just as bad, right? In this specific case, and I've gotten texts from a few folks that are very pro-Israel, which is, that's fine. It's not, that's not the issue. The issue is you have to be on the up and up about what it is that the Israeli government is doing now in response, what they failed to do on October 7th, know about this attack that happened. Everyone talks about Israeli intelligence and how good it is, and yet this went right underneath, and it was land, sea, and air. It wasn't just one method of committing this terrorist act. It was multiple ways that Hamas was able to execute this. Um, you have to have an up-and-up -up conversation about the response that they're having and then what they've been doing over the last 56 years. If you don't have an admission of some of that and you play the whataboutism game, we're never going to solve any of this. And none of this is anti-Semitic before you start thinking any of that. The people that continue to put that in that lane of anti-Semitism, that's not anti-Semitism. You don't know what anti-Semitism means. If you think that everything I just said right here is either A, in support of Hamas, give me a break, or B, anti-Semitic. Like you have to have, if you're going to have these conversations, it has to be on the up and up about what Israel is doing before and post-response. Some of it justified because there's still hostages outstanding. We hope that they get returned safely. And the U.S. is trying its best diplomatically to 
back channel to get some of these hostages released. We don't know what's going to happen out with that. I ask Representative Moulton about that uh, later on in the segment. All right, Nick, I want to say hello to you because I, I, I gave a lot there. I, you know, we're teasing out the, you know, the Raiders fired Josh McDaniels. And then the next sentence, we're pivoting to world news and things that are really going to come home to roost here because we're going to get into it in our first segment about polling and how that's affecting the current president and the former president. But how are you doing? What do you make of what I just played of President Obama? And, and then obviously, you know, this is a conversation you and I have had in text messages that we like to bring over here about anti-Semitism and like this conflation of, you know, well, because you said that, that means you support this. That's not what I said. And we're having a lot of that play out. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I think we do have to separate. You know, I think I'll credit. I heard this from Van Lathan recently, you know, who does a really great podcast himself, him, him and Rachel Lindsay, you know, over at The Ringer. And and I'll bring that here. But the idea of separating Jewish people, you know, from Israel, which is extremely difficult to do. And when we talk about when we talk about Jewish people, we're talking about, you know, the recognition of their safety and their significance. And to deny them that is where is when we talk about anti-Semitism, when we are dismissive or hurtful or wanting to eradicate as has happened historically with the Jewish people, that is anti-Semitism. Any reference to it is anti-Semitism. To talk about what the state of Israel was doing, I think is a, is a, is a different conversation. And I understand why that gets conflated sometimes. I, I totally understand that. But I think if we're going to have a critical discussion of the actions of, of the IDF, of the prime minister, I think we can have a conversation that doesn't get into a place of, well, if you don't support Israel, you're being anti-Semitic. I, I don't think that, again, I say this as, as a person who's not Jewish, but I would ask people to consider for a moment that if I take the religion out of this conversation, what we're talking, and the, the culture out of it for a moment, we're talking about the actions of a country, not necessarily in response to October 7th, but just in their relations to another group of people. If we're just talking about that in isolation, which is sometimes hard to do, I admit, but in isolation, there's an opportunity to talk about, well, is what this country is doing, are there elements of it that feel inhumane or feel wrong? I think therein lies the conversation. But I think, unfortunately, we don't seem capable of having that conversation. Even now, I'm, I'm mindful of being very careful with what I say, because it can be construed as being not a supporter of Israel. And that's not the case. But I think, unfortunately, and I, I can't speak for how this conversation plays out in other countries, but in the U.S., it does seem that we, we, can, we can really struggle. And the funny part about this is that, and I've pointed to this poll before, but surely after the reaction of Israel to the attacks by Hamas on October 7th, a sizable number of Israeli citizens would lay the blame of this at the feet of their prime minister. There is, there is a groundswell. Now, to be fair, in the U.S., this is existing too. There are more and more Jewish people, even members of Congress, who come forward and say, and I use Bernie Sanders as an example here, who say that, yes, I'm Jewish, but do not use my religion to justify this conflict. We're hearing more and more of that, and it's, it's a welcome perspective. But going back to what I was talking about that poll uh, about people uh, of Israelis with Netanyahu, it was unfavorable to the prime minister. People living there are looking at the prime minister and saying, this is this is kind of on you. And in the U.S., we hear that or we view this conflict as well to speak ill of Israel is to be for some anti-Semitic. And like you, I don't I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I'm not Jewish. And to a person who does feel that you cannot separate those two entities, I think that's the conversation that we can certainly have and, and be respectful about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even know how to pivot on that. Well, you know what? Let me give some numbers here in this war before we actually pivot to our 
our first segment. And, and again, uh, if you want to donate to the humanitarian efforts that are happening out there, there's a link in our show notes that we're, we're giving to people that you can actually donate to to the, the UN or, or, or the relief efforts that are being done by a couple independent organizations. As of this recording right now, again, subject to change in terms of the numbers as the Israeli airstrikes intensify and whatever comes of the ground invasion, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry, close to 9,700 or so folks have been killed in these uh, attacks. Uh, obviously, we all know what happened on October 7th and subsequent with the Israeli folks, over 1,400 people uh, killed in those attacks, still about 200 and 35, 240 hostages that are still uh, in Hamas custody. Uh, it continues to wage on. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made an unannounced visit, obviously, to Iraq on uh, last week. Actually, this past Sunday, we're recording this, already passed his visit. He stopped also in Israel, uh, continuing to talk about the humanitarian pause that the U.S. is calling for. Other people want a ceasefire. We actually talked to Representative Moen about what he wants, and that's coming up in the next segment. We leave that there. We'll continue to cover this uh, and, and continue to devote more to this uh, as somebody will be coming on that's worked as, in former military and operations in our next episode. I want to pivot real quick before we actually get to the break and, and Representative Seth Moulton. The third Republican debate is happening down here, and obviously all of these candidates have been talking about Israel Hamas as the as the burgeoning topic that that is playing out right now before those fields. Um, so the next debate is happening uh, this week. As you're listening to this down here in my neck of the woods in Miami, uh, Florida, Florida at the Adrian Arsh Center. Um, this past weekend, uh, before the debates, well, everyone's down here in Florida at the Republican Party's annual summit on Saturday. Um, and there was a bunch of different uh, folks there from former President Trump actually showed up, Ron DeSantis, and all of them were kind of making a little bit of their cases. But then there's some familiar boos that happened in the crowd to two of the candidates. Take a listen to this. I'm pleased to report that just moments ago, I officially filed to appear on the ballot in the Florida Republican primary. So we'll see which I'm also happy to report that we're leading by about 75 points. So that's and with your help, we are going to win the Florida primary for the third straight time. We're going to win the state in a landslide next November, just like we've done twice. And we're going to defeat crooked Joe Biden, and we are going to make America great again. We had something that was incredible. We had the great terror organization stopped, totally stopped. They stopped, and we had no problem. You know, for four years, we didn't have an incident. Think of it. And I didn't want to talk. I wanted to say it so badly, even during the campaign, where we did much better than we did the first time, by the way. We got millions and millions of more votes. But I wanted to say it so badly. There's been no terror. We put the terror ban. We put everything. We did we did things that nobody's ever done before. We had no terror for four years. We had no problems for four years. We're the first state in America to eliminate so-called DEI from our public universities. You know, they say, they say that it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's really just an ideological agenda. DEI, as its practice, better stands for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination, and that has no place in our public universities. So we fought the fight on that, and we fought for people. And here's the why it's important, because the left is never going to be satisfied until they control every institution in this society. So if you have these Republicans that say, you know, we should just cut taxes and not worry about the schools or what's going on in corporate America or all that other stuff. I can tell you all those institutions are concerned about imposing their agenda on you. You better be concerned about it. As someone who's been in the courtroom for over 25 years as a federal prosecutor and also in defending some of the most serious federal criminal cases, I can say that there is a significant likelihood that Donald Trump will be found guilty by a jury on a felony offense next year. That may or may not happen. 
before you vote in March. And it might not make any difference to you, but it will make a difference for our chances to attract independent voters in November. Your anger, your anger against the truth is reprehensible. The problem is, the problem is you fear the truth. The problem is you want to shout down any voice that says anything different than what you want to hear. The last one always gets me as Chris Christie. It's like it's like a new thing for him now getting booed everywhere. That was Asa Hutchinson before him. Governor Ron DeSantis a little bit there. Uh, Nick, I want to get your takes on that. And then obviously former President Trump announcing that he obviously is putting his name on the ballot for the Florida uh, Republican primary when it does come here. Um, so far for this debate that's happening this week, only four Republicans as of this taping have qualified because the RNC increased the thresholds. You got to have obviously at least 4% support in two national polls, 4% in one nationwide survey. You got to have 70,000 unique donors. So right now it looks like it's only going to be Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and Chris Christie. Former President Trump, I believe, is doing something in parallel on his own, some type of event. Um, Nick, I'm actually, uh, as of this taping, uh, it's, uh, this episode will already come out, but doing some TV previewing uh, the debate. So if people want to actually listen to my takes on that on TV, you can uh, follow us over at Can We Please Talk podcast over on the YouTube channel previewing that debate that's happening. But um, I'm interested to hear like what these folks really have to say with respect to the Israel-Hamas war, because since the last debate, which was uh, a few months ago, we haven't had anything major break out. Obviously, Russia-Ukraine was still playing out in the backdrop. Uh, the Trump charges were already, you know, everyone's on file and, and some of the court dates have been announced and he hasn't shown up to any of the debates. But January 15th, is the first Iowa GOP caucuses. And we're going to have the holiday season coming up soon. So there isn't going to be anything else. This is going to be the last chance for these folks to kind of go out there and make their case as they continue some of the ground efforts that they're doing in Iowa. Um, what are you looking forward to, to Wednesday? What do you make of the, you're not going to be looking forward to anything. You're a Democrat, but what do you, <laughs> what do you make of the montage I played for you there? Some of the comments of, of these folks and especially what they've been saying and then the polling itself, because we're going to get into the polling as Donald Trump has a commanding lead over a morning consult, 61 percent to 13 percent from Rod DeSantis. There's a few polls that show Nikki Haley, one in South Carolina by CNN, that she's gotten up to at least 22 percent and she's still 35 points behind the former president. So this is all charades. This is all for not because the former president is leading these folks by such a wide margin across all these states. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yes, it's true. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Democrat, but I, yeah, there's a, there's a fatalism here because I, because I agree with you. It, this is all for show at this point. I mean, people will get their points off and, um, you know, get their hot takes and you know, sound bites and whatever, and maybe be able to parlay this into a career over at one of the news networks because it ain't going to lead to you know facing Joe Biden next November, like that's for sure. So this is just posturing for who wants to play for second. Like the like the Larry Bird story always goes. Yeah, I don't. It, it's silly to me, to be honest. Um, you know, we're a year removed from the actual election, but everyone's just posturing for the sake of not being the president. I rolled my eyes when you played that clip because to hear Ron DeSantis be so minimalistic about about DEI, like this is just part of his shtick. Like he has no policy vision like a lot of these bozos don't. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to go against woke. It's going so well for him, too, clearly, because he's making such a dent. No, he's not in the form of president. He's a moron. I'm very curious. That 22 percent for Nikki Haley is very telling, though, because I think in the long game of all these debates, I think she's the one that's consistently has made sizable gains. I think from the first debate to, to now, what's coming up, it's sort of the. I guess it's sort of the um, towards in the hair analogy, but like steadily she keeps gaining. Will that lead to any states on primary for primary time to go in her favor? I have no idea. I, I don't think so. But could it possibly be that maybe her voice is what shifts more of the party to be a little less MAGA? I have no idea. But 
And it's not shocking to me that Trump continues to lie. When you say something like we didn't have any terror, like, like, <laughs> well, like, what did you think Charlottesville was? Like, did not ha- did not not happen on his watch? Did January sixth not happen on his watch? The one thing I'm most excited about is you being on television. Honestly, to see these to see these numbskulls all lined up together to go back and forth of who's going to get you know potentially less roasted by <laughs> Trump in the coming months is is comical to me. Um, you know, shout out to Asa Hutchinson, former governor, obviously of Arkansas, who, you know, who rightfully brought up that we may be talking about criminal proceedings, you know, for the for the former president. But that doesn't matter. And as far as Chris Christie goes, you know, folks, on this show, I I did, I didn't bet, but I did put my chips in the Chris Christie pot, like many of my bets in football. That was a colossal mistake. I own that L. Yeah, yeah. just a massive, <laughs> massive failure. Um, I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, poor, poor Chris Christie. Um, maybe you shouldn't have hit your wagon to that. Uh, we all knew that. Hey, listen, before we go to the break, I will say this: I, I would the the Ron DeSantis stuff stays in because I've said it for forever. He doesn't translate nationally. It is one thing to say that in a crowd of people in Florida who voted for you, who are paid to protect you. Great. It's another thing to go to a diner in Iowa or go to a bookshop in Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina and try to translate that message. He doesn't do it. He doesn't speak enough about some of the policy things that he's done in Florida. Like, for example, and I mentioned this on TV, the teachers union stuff and how he's increased teacher pay here in the state that makes Florida one of the higher states for, you know, entry level teacher pay. Um, But he doesn't he doesn't talk about any of that on the trail because he does the DEI acronyms and what he thinks that that stands for. And it's annoying because some of the culture war stuff you really don't need to do. Um, Before we go to the break, I will tell you the Des Moines Register in Iowa has former President Trump ahead by 27 points. That's probably the closest poll I've seen where Nikki Haley is at 16 percent in that poll tied with Ron DeSantis, but um, 43% of likely Republican caucus goers are choosing Donald Trump as their first choice in that specific poll. And then obviously we all seen what the national polls mean. None of it means anything, folks, because the local polls, like the ones that these local papers are doing, are the ones that are coming up next. And like I mentioned, the first, the first primary will be in Iowa in January. All right, we leave it there. Let's go to the break. When we come back after the break, my conversation with Representative Seth Moulton from the great state of Massachusetts when we come back after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is presented by our friends over at BetterHelp, a new partnership that we're doing here at the show. I had been alluding to this a while ago because I can see it playing out everywhere. It's the end of the year. Uh, events are playing out not only here in the U.S., but internationally. And people are anxious. They're overwhelmed. And we need to talk. I mean, it's the purpose of this show, right? Can we please talk? And we've partnered with our friends over at BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I want you all to give BetterHelp a try because it's online, it's convenient, it's flexible, it's suitable to your schedule. Nick, I know you're excited about this partnership and we've been talking a lot about the mental health space and getting people to talk again, right? Give us a little bit of your thoughts on on this partnership with BetterHelp. You know, back in 2020, during the pandemic, you know, we, we saw the benefits of going virtual. And one of the biggest examples of that was the work that the folks at BetterHelp were doing. 
about making mental health av available in the virtual space. But oftentimes when we think about BetterHelp, we think about post-pandemic. And the reality is that BetterHelp has been around since 2013 to help provide access to healthcare. And they have about 30,000 licensed therapists that they're working with to offer that opportunity. I'm very excited about this partnership. Yeah, that's very well said. So all you got to do is go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk. You're going to get 10% off your first month. You're going to fill out a brief questionnaire while you're there so you can get matched up with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists as well anytime for no additional charge. You know, I want people to start talking again. That's why we've done this partnership with our friends over at BetterHelp. Hit the link in our show notes or go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk to get started today. This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary is putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. Are you, you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, give me a little bit of how Fresh Roasted Coffee keeps you awake when I'm boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> interesting introduction folks i'm a huge fan as you all know of fresh roasted coffee primarily for the simple fact about diversity if you're a tea person they've got you covered if you're a coffee person they got you covered too mike and i take our coffee very differently mike is a keurig man that is efficient that is tasty that's the way to go i am a french press person nowadays i actually grind my own beans so when i get my batch of fresh roasted coffee it goes right into the grinder then to the french press boiled water let's go but in either case our cup of coffee comes out delicious mostly because they ask you at the jump what's just tell us about you simple quiz they'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with and that's the way to go and then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee again regardless of how you do it no that's exactly right you can take the quiz over at freshroastedcoffee.com and in the show notes page right now of this episode, hit the link for a discount or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz, after you've selected the coffee you're going to order, enter in the promo code. Can we please get 20 for 20% off your first purchase? I'm telling you, this coffee is delicious. Go to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, Congressman Seth Moulton is back with us on the podcast, giving us a couple minutes. Congressman Mike Leon, thank you so much for hopping back on the pod with us. Great to be back on. You know, Congressman, it, it's so fitting to have you on right now. There's so much happening, not only domestically, but internationally. I want to get into a bunch of it with you and, and leave you some space at the end to talk about the Veterans Town Hall that you're going to be doing uh, this coming Friday. And, and one thing I did want to get in with you was you, you guys on social media have been very vocal about Speaker Mike Johnson, assault weapons bans, everything that happened last week up in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, obviously, as a former veteran, I heard you say something on, a, on an interview about, hey, I needed these weapons of war when I was in Iraq. We don't need them uh, for people that want to commit acts like this or, or people that equate it to hunting uh, for, all, for all intent and purpose. Um, what do you make of everything that happened last week in Lewiston, Maine? And then what is it that you are specifically calling on Speaker Johnson to do? I mean, let's just start with the fact that this is an unbearable tragedy. I mean, so many lives cut short as a as a father of two little girls. Um, I read about so many young dads who were just gunned down and their mothers are going to have to explain why daddy's not coming home. And yet this unbearable tragedy is like just on repeat across America all the time. There have been 566 or something mass shootings defined as four or more people shot in America just this year. That's crazy. 566. You don't hear about them all because there are just so many. We're so used to this. It's an absolutely absurd situation. It doesn't happen in any other country in the war world. And you think about all the people who were killed on September 11th, about 3,000 people. Well, in just the last five years, that many people have been killed in mass shootings. And we've done nothing. 
we did so much as a country to respond to September 11th. Some of it good, some of it bad, but the point is we mobilized as a nation. And yet after the same number of people have died at the hands of guns, here at home, we've done nothing. It's just dereliction of duty. It is un-American to not be able to respond to a tragedy like this. And yes, I bring my own experience as a, a veteran, someone who's used guns, someone for whom that, give me guns have saved my life. I wouldn't be here today if not for the assault rifle that I had with me in Iraq. But I don't need that to be a citizen in America. I don't need it to hunt a deer. If you say you need a, a an assault rifle to go hunting, you, you don't need an assault rifle, you need a shooting lesson. In Iraq every day, I also had two grenades strapped to my chest. Those are weapons of war. Now, if I told you that that I had two grenades on me right now, you probably wouldn't like that. Even though I would be perfectly confident that I wouldn't blow myself up over four tours in Iraq. I never blew myself up with my own grenades. But the point is that we as a society have decided that you're not allowed to carry grenades around because they're weapons of war. That doesn't violate the second amendment to say you can't have grenades. So this is just common sense that we should not have weapons of war on our streets, or in our schools, you don't have to get rid of the Second Amendment to support this view. And that's why the vast majority of Americans, over 80% of Americans want background checks on guns. A similarly high number want an assault weapons ban. And even more remarkable, the majority of Republicans, upwards of 70% of Republicans, upwards of 70% of NRA members want these common sense restrictions to keep our homes and schools safe. Because you don't have to be a Democrat to want to be able to send your kids to school and know that they won't get shot. And yet, Speaker Mike Johnson, just part of the mold, a Republican who doesn't follow even the Republican polling, he just follows the edicts of the NRA and is extremist party members and just won't do a thing, won't do a thing. That's political cowardice and it's getting Americans killed. You know, Representative Moulton, I, you just fed into the follow-up there because I was going to ask you about, and by the way, the grenade analogy is something I have never heard uh, before somebody equated to. I always equated to golf clubs because that's what I know. You know, grenades and weapons of war. So I, I'm glad that you used that analogy, but tell us a little bit about Mike Johnson, for people that are are watching this, listening to this, that maybe are not always following the politics and rhetorics of people that are members of the House of Representatives, you happen to know who he is. Now you've had a chance to kind of talk to him about certain things. You're calling on him to do certain things. What what do we know about him or what, what can you tell more the American people about him? Well, first of all, if you don't know Mike Johnson, don't feel bad because most Americans don't know him. Most Americans have never heard of him. Most members of Congress don't know Mike Johnson. He's been a really obscure member of the Republican Party, but he has always been known as a nice guy. And, and that might seem like a sort of throwaway term, but I mean, these days in politics, never dismiss someone who is actually nice. Ron DeSantis, for example, is known in the halls of Congress for being just a first rate uh, jerk. I mean, I'm being polite and saying jerk, but um, but Mike Johnson actually is respected among his fellow Republicans, even is respected among those of us who, you know, have a locker near him in the gym for just being a decent person. And he presented himself to Congress and the world in his acceptance speech, essentially his first speech as the new speaker. By saying, you know, this is my family background. This is who I am. I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of principle. I'm a man who believes in American values. And it was a fundamentally very humble speech. That's what you want out of a leader. And then the next day, I saw him in the locker room, as I often do in the morning. And he said to me, he said to me, we've got to find ways to work together because that's what the American people want. They're tired of this bitter partisanship. And of course, he's right. And I encouraged him and I and I want to work with him if we can. But then just a few days after that, his first major piece of legislation to put before Congress, he's politicized 
the Israel issue. He's politicized funding for Ukraine, the border, and um, and 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 you know the immigration debate, um, and funding for uh, the investments we need to deter a war in the Pacific. Things that have been bipartisan priorities to some degree, and he clearly is unwilling to do anything about guns. So, I mean, what we're seeing now is the uh, the serious limits of his of his leadership. You know, I, I want to stay on. Unfortunately, you know a lot about war. You mentioned your your service in Iraq and obviously everything that's playing out with the Israel Hamas war. Uh, a listener had asked in a question that I, I want to clean up for you here on, on this show because it was semi diatribe. But uh, the question was really around how do we how do we talk about this duality that is happening with this war that Israel is now doing a ground invasion with weapons that we've supplied, yet the U.S. is also calling on aid to be provided for citizens of Gaza. So it's almost like we're making the mess, but we're also providing the bounty towels to pick up the mess. And so people are struggling out there. I've seen friendships dissolve in the last couple of weeks because of everything that's played out. And it's very simplistic to call out Hamas for being a terrorist organization, for the hostages to be returned, to vilify these acts that they've committed, while also there's that balancing act of what's happening right now in Gaza and the humanitarian crisis that's playing out. For you as a former veteran, as now a member of Congress, what do you make of it all from October 7th until now, or even predating that? Well, first of all, this is a horrific situation for everybody involved. Um, you know, a, a, a Jewish life is no more important than a Palestinian life, and a lot of Jews and Palestinians have lost their lives and are going to lose their lives in the days ahead with the way this is going. And so let's first just acknowledge the, the terrible human tragedy of that. Wars are always tragic. They're always horrific. And I mean, in a way, that's why none of this surprises me at all. I mean, it's a sad reality of war that you kill people at the same time as you're trying to help others that you need to provide weapons at the same time as you need to provide aid. We saw that over 20 years of, of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. What I've been really encouraging the Israeli government to do as they prosecute this war is to learn the lessons from the mistakes we made in Iraq and Afghanistan. Don't repeat our mistakes because far too many Iraqis and Afghans died in the course of of those wars. And even though you go to Iraq today and it's actually pretty prosperous and happy, and there are a lot of Iraqis who actually thank us for getting rid of Saddam and giving them a semblance of democracy. And of course, millions of Afghan girls had a glimpse of a future when they were able to go to school, something they weren't allowed to do before and are not allowed to do now since we since we left. So war is always complicated, but let's just start with the basic facts here about Israel Hamas. First of all, there's never an excuse for terrorism. It's downright evil. And the barbarism that Hamas exacted on innocent Israelis is, is, is truly difficult to contemplate. True, unadulterated evil, as President Biden has said. Now, in response to that, Israel is going after Hamas, something they have a right to do, a national security responsibility to do, in the same way that we went after the terrorists who perpetrated 9-11. But how you go after them, how you, how you wage that war, how you carry out that fight really matters. And Israel has to follow the laws of war, the same laws of war that Hamas broke, disregarded, threw in the waste bin. You know, one evil doesn't allow another. And so while Israel has a right, I would argue even a responsibility to remove the Hamas terrorists, the threat that they are to their nation and their people, they also have a right and a responsibility to protect innocent Palestinians. And, and the point that I've made from my experience fighting in the counterinsurgency battles of Iraq is that if Israel doesn't make the case to innocent, peace-loving Palestinians 
that they shouldn't want to live under a Hamas terror regime themselves. And there are a lot of Palestinians who fit into this category. There's, there's, there's data, there's polling that shows that a lot of the Palestinians in Gaza do not like living under a terrorist regime. But Israel has to give them a better an alternative. They have to be able to provide a better future than Hamas or else when they go in to take out Hamas, if they kill innocent civilians, as they already have been doing, they're just going to retreat, recruit more Hamas terrorists in the process. Israel will be right back where they began or maybe even in a worse situation. So I guess the, the long answer to your question is that all these things can be true. Hamas can be evil, but Israel also has a responsibility to follow the law of warfare. They can go after Hamas terrorists, but they should not be killing innocent Palestinians. And in fact, killing innocent Palestinians hurts their ability to achieve the ultimate peace and stability that the people of Israel want, the peace-loving people of Gaza want, and frankly, the whole world wants, I guess, with the exception of some terrorist groups in the, in the region. I mean, none of us want to see a wider Middle Eastern war, and I think that the vast majority of people in the war in the world want to somehow someday see peace between Israelis and Palestinians. No, I wanted to shift uh, back because, um, well, actually, you know what? Let me stay on the follow up for that because what what should the U.S. be doing from a support standpoint for allies or countries that are going through these type of conflicts? Because we're seeing right now a, a couple different wars in between Russia and Ukraine and Israel and Hamas and the U.S.'s semi-involvement in the Ukraine one and then what we're doing on the Israeli side. What should the typical U.S. response be as a, as a former veteran now member of Congress? Well, there are a few principles. I mean, first of all, we stand by our allies. Second of all, we stop terrorism and the rampages of dictators in their tracks. And the reason why it's so important that we as uh, a free democracy here in the United States send a message to the rest of the world that if you're a dictator, you can't just invade your neighbor. And if you're a terrorist, you can't just kill innocent people in terror attacks. It's because that's important, not just for the security of places like Israel and Ukraine. It's important for our national security. It's important to send a message all over the world that that kind of I mean, and it's just most clinical term, violation of international law, that kind of barbarism, the slaughtering of innocent people in wars that don't need to be fought, that, that will not stand. We will not allow that to happen because we don't want that happening to us. And so there's a very real connection between our willingness to stand by Ukraine and stop Vladimir Putin and our you know, our stated or our sort of ambiguous willingness to stand by Taiwan in the Pacific under the threat of an invasion by China, because if China thinks they can get away with invading Taiwan, then they could very well go ahead and do that and literally start World War III, literally start World War III that will lead to the deaths of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, including a lot of Americans, should China and America ever get in a war. And the name of peace is deterrence. It's deterrence. It's saying to not just Vladimir Putin, but to Xi Jinping, you cannot just take over a neighbor because you want to. It's saying to terrorist organizations like Hamas, you can't do this and get away with it. Deterrence matters for peace. And that's what we're trying to do. Of course, actually doing it, it's hard. It's complicated. And we don't always get it right. And that's why when people are concerned about how Israel is carrying out this war, that they should be vo voicing those concerns. I've been voicing those concerns. That's why I wrote this, this op-ed on CNN.com that, that, that explained, like, don't make the mistakes we made in Iraq and Afghanistan, one of which is you've got to have a plan for the day after. You can't just solve this with military means alone or by military means alone. You have to provide a political future for these people. And candidly, Prime Minister Netanyahu hasn't done that yet. He hasn't explained that political future to the Palestinians. He hasn't even explained it to his own troops, many of whom are going to lose their lives if they're thrown into this hellish urban warfare in Gaza. 
Yeah, you know, I think in that piece, or or it may have been somebody else too, said you can't bomb your way out of this. And I thought it was just so, so fitting because it's true. Um, So I wanted to ask you before the end of the year here in 2023, as as we're about to head into 2024 in a political cycle, obviously we're approaching this deadline on November 17th. As we're recording this, nothing has uh, happened there on the government potentially being shut down. We may get another CR for another 45 days. What are some of your priorities as you finalize the year here and, and keeping the government open? What else are some of the things that Congressman Seth Moulton is, is kind of making a priority for the end of the year? You know, there's so many things that, that we need to do. Um, we've got to provide this funding package that the, the majority of Democrats and Republicans agree on. Um, uh, providing aid for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan and, and you know, improvements at the border. Now, of course, the details matter in all of this, um, but that's something that's a that's a priority. Certainly just keeping the government open. I mean, the economy will, will go into a, a tailspin if we let the government shut down, something that a lot of Republicans are perfectly willing to do. We've got to we've got to stop that. But there's also so much more we should be doing. You know, we should be investing a lot more in education, for example. We don't talk about that enough because there are so many fires that we have to put out day to day. But America's falling behind because we have not modernized our education system. It's not as equitable as it should be. If you're rich, you're pretty much guaranteed to get a great education in America. If you're poor, it's a crapshoot, and that's wrong. That's not freedom of opportunity, a hallmark of the American dream. We've got to fix our immigration system. It's not just about border security. It's about giving people a pathway to citizenship. I mean, even most Republican voters agree that dreamers should be allowed to stay. They should be allowed to have to truly live the American dream. And yet they can't do so under our broken immigration system. I want a lot of immigrants to come here. I just want them to come here legally. And that's something that we should all agree on. We need to work on our infrastructure. I talk about this a lot because I'm a champion of high-speed rail. It's it's just pathetic that America has no high-speed rail, no real high-speed rail in all of America when almost every other developed country in the world you can go right downtown and get on a train going 200 miles an hour to your to your destination faster than flying uh for any sort of uh, short to medium distance, much faster than driving. I mean, we're just missing out. So there are so many things that we need to do to invest in our country, invest in our future, invest in our kids that we're not doing right now because of this political paralysis in Washington. And I don't want to lose sight of that. While, of course, we're talking about this funding deadline, we're talking about the threat of Republicans, again, shutting down the government. But gosh, like, let's get out of our own way here. Of course, we, I mean, that's just a matter of course, you don't shut down your own government. It's ridiculous. Right. We should be talking about the investments we need to make in our future. Well said. I, I want to give you some space before I let you go here, Congressman, and I can't thank you enough for, for giving us some time here. But uh, you have a town hall that's coming up this week, a veterans town hall that you're going to be doing. Uh, you guys have been posting about this on social media. Tell us uh, in our audience a little bit more about it. Yeah. So this is an amazing idea that actually comes from American Indian uh, tradition, where warriors return to the communities that they fought for the communities where we grew up and you know, were raised and, and explain to everybody back home what we went through in war. It's meant to be a cathartic healing process for veterans, many of us who, of course, come back with post-traumatic stress after going through some of the most horrific experiences on earth. But also it's meant to be cathartic for the rest of the community to try to understand us, to try to understand the the scars of war and how they have influenced our lives ever since. A lot of Americans support veterans. They want to do right by veterans. They want to help veterans, but they don't understand how to do that. They don't understand what we're all about. So the idea is veterans come to this town hall and most of the people in the audience will not be veterans, but we just share a little thing, yet, a short story, 10 minutes, and talk about how that experience in war has impacted our lives back home. It's been an extraordinary, it's probably the thing I'm, I'm most proud of in, in Congress. I mean, just an extraordinary experience for these communities because it helps communities heal. And we need a lot of healing in America today. 
Congressman Seth Moulton from the great state of Massachusetts, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the program, giving us a couple of minutes. Continue success to you, sir. Please stay safe. Hey, thanks very much for having me. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Better Sleep, a personalized sleep experience for more restful nights and wakeful days. Nick, how's your sleeping habits, buddy? I know you got two kids. You wake up early. You go to sleep late, probably. Take me through. Are you are you sleeping better? Do you need help getting to sleep? What's, what's, what's your big uh, issue and hang up here as you're trying to fall asleep at night? My quality sleep. I, I tend to, I tend to go to sleep late. You know, I, I love to read and but inevitably I do have to get up early. So I'm averaging probably maybe like five hours of what I would consider like quality sleep. So yeah, I'm I was excited you mentioned this partnership because you know, one of the things about better sleep that's awesome is the fact that the entire sleep experience is what they focus on. Everything from sounds to help you sleep, you know, better understanding your sleep patterns. And Mike, that's that's really the breakdown that they offer. Super easy app to use. Um, I can't brag enough about it. I'm starting to use it myself just to really just better understand how I sleep and how I can improve that. Because it's we take it for granted, but almost any athlete will tell you, any professional will tell you, our understanding of sleep is coming to the forefront of what really helps to improve performance. So I'm, I'm all for it. No, you're right. Anybody will tell you, you need your eight hours at least. Improve your well-being in just one week. If you go to the link right now in our show notes, it's going to take you over to better sleep. And you can take the quiz. They have a take the quiz button that's available right there as soon as you come into the app. So that way it can adjust the sounds and everything you need to get a better quality sleep. Click the link in our show notes right now and head to bettersleep.com for a restful night's sleep. All right, our thank yous there to Representative Seth Moulton from the great state of Massachusetts. Uh, he does a great job. And by the way, if you want to find out more about that town hall that he's doing, if you're a veteran out there, you know a veteran out there that lives up in the New England area, um, you know, follow Representative Moulton over on social media, Congressman Seth Moulton, or you can follow his personal at Seth Moulton over on Instagram. Um, Nick, before we sign off here, uh, thoughts on the interview? You weren't able to join us on the call with Representative Moulton, but some of those questions, folks, uh, uh, Nick gave me to ask. So uh, kudos to him there. And also kudos to the listeners that have been hitting us up here in the past few weeks uh, with some questions and stuff like that, knowing that we have Representative Moulton coming on, Representative Moskowitz coming on. So, uh, Nick, what'd you make of the interview before we sign off here? You know, I, it's interesting because I contrasted, particularly what stood out was Representative Moulton's comments about what's going on between Israel and, and in Gaza, you know, in regards to the Palestinians. And he offered a measured response. You know, this is a veteran who talked about being mindful of that Israel has a right to defend itself, but it also has the right to protect innocent Palestinians. You know, that, that's a quote from your interview. And what I took away from it was, once again, a very thoughtful, plain spoken individual with it, which the Democrats could benefit from having more of. In contrast <laughs> to someone like Representative Rashida, you know, Rashida Tlaib in uh, Michigan. And I'll touch on her in a second because that connects a lot to your interview. Um, I appreciate him connecting mass shootings to to 9-11 and our different response to that. And you and I have talked about this. You know, when the shooter happens to look closer to us than, say, Representative Moulton, it's an isolated incident. It's a lone wolf. It's mental illness. Uh, when the shade of the person's skin color with the gun is a little bit darker, it's more of a systemic issue. It's terrorism. It's urban crime. It's all this stuff, all coded language. Um, so when he asks or when he calls out the fact that we had a certain we had a very clear uh, response to 9-11, but not so much when it comes to mass shootings, I will simply leave it to our listeners to decide for themselves. What is the what is the origin of that discrepancy in our responses? Um you know, there was a comment toward the end that, he, that not toward the end, but that Representative Moulton talked about the sad realities of war. And I think we still collectively in talking about this conflict between Israel and Gaza, we still sometimes take very soft language. You know, I thought the representative did a great job of balancing the fact that there is a need to retaliate for what happened on October 7th and recognize that we need to be mindful of who we're attacking. His contrast with our reaction in the war with Afghanistan is important. But I do remember, though, 
I forgot the video, maybe you sent it to me, of just the way we talk differently, you know, about conflict. You know, in this case, in matters of Israel defending itself, we, and similar to the representative we've heard before, well, it's war, you know, people are going to get hurt. And it's, it's crazy to me for someone to normalize it like that. And yes, you know, Representative Moulton's a veteran, and I'm not. But there's just something wrong about that. And I don't know if it's necessarily the way we rethink war in 2023. And I don't have an easy answer, obviously, to this. But it is a little disconcerting when we we look at this and we say, well, it's war. But as as always, I thought the representative, not just he, not just on our show, but in general, is a measured voice that the Democrats would benefit listening more to uh, than its most strident representatives. Um, I mentioned Representative Rashid Tlaib and the video she put out recently and just a lot of the outrage from the Democratic Party, rightfully so, of you know, a member of Congress threatening you know, Joseph Biden's presidency say we will remember in 2024. Less of that, and I think more of the remarks of Seth Moulton would benefit the party. Yeah, he was great. And we leave it there. Like I said, you can go follow him on social media for our show. Follow us on social media. Can we please talk podcast over on Instagram, TikTok, on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. You want to watch the video portion of our interview with Representative Moulton, head to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should pop right up. Hit the subscribe button for me while you are there. Audio podcast platforms you're known by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody listens to us on Good Pods. Shout out to everybody listens to us on YouTube Music. You can download the YouTube Music app and check out our show over there. And shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it, Adam. Can't do it at each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm Nick Severi. We'll see everybody next time. <laughs>